Chapter 9 of Kilmeny of the Orchard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Kilmeny of the Orchard by L. M. Montgomery. Read by Chloe Winters, February 2008. Chapter 9 The Straight Simplicity of Eve. For the next three weeks, Eric Marshall seemed to himself to be living two lives as distinct from each other as if he possessed a double personality. In one, he taught the Lindsay District School diligently and painstakingly, solved problems, argued on theology with Robert Williamson, called at the homes of his pupils and took tea in state with their parents, went to a rustic dance or two and played havoc, all unwittingly, with the hearts of the Lindsay maidens. But this life was a dream of workaday. He only lived in the other, which was spent in an old orchard, grassy and overgrown, where the minutes seemed to lag for sheer love of the spot, and the June winds made wild harping in the old spruces. Here, every evening he met Kilmeny. In that old orchard they garnered hours of quiet happiness together. Together they went wandering in the fair fields of old romance. Together they read many books and talked of many things. And, when they were tired of all else, Kilmeny played to him, and the old orchard echoed with her lovely, fantastic melodies. At every meeting her beauty came home afresh to him, with the old thrill of glad surprise. In the intervals of absence it seemed to him that she could not possibly be as beautiful as he remembered her, and then when they met she seemed even more so. He learned to watch for the undisguised light of welcome that always leaped into her eyes at the sound of his footsteps. She was nearly always there before him, and she always showed that she was glad to see him, with the frank delight of a child watching for a dear comrade. She was never in the same mood twice. Now she was grave, now gay, now stately, now pensive, but she was always charming. Thrawn and twisted the old Gordon stock might be, but it had at least this one offshoot of perfect grace and symmetry. Her mind and heart, utterly unspoiled of the world, were as beautiful as her face. All the ugliness of existence had passed her by, shrined in her double solitude of upbringing and muteness. She was naturally quick and clever, Delightful little flashes of wit and humor sparkled out occasionally. She could be whimsical, even charmingly capricious. Sometimes innocent mischief glimmered out of the unfathomable deeps of her blue eyes. Sarcasm, even, was not unknown to her. Now and then she punctured some harmless bubble of a young man's conceit or masculine superiority with a biting little line of daintily written script. She assimilated the ideas in the books they read, speedily, eagerly, and thoroughly, always seizing on the best and truest, and rejecting the false and spurious and weak with an unfailing intuition at which Eric marveled. Hers was the spear of ethereal, trying out the dross of everything and leaving only the pure gold. In manner and outlook she was still a child, yet now and again she was as old as Eve. An expression would leap into her laughing face, a subtle meaning reveal itself in her smile that held all the lore of womanhood and all the wisdom of the ages. Her way of smiling enchanted him. The smile always began far down in her eyes, and flowed outward to her face like a sparkling brook, stealing out of shadow into sunshine. He knew everything about her life. She told him her simple history freely. She often mentioned her uncle and aunt, and seemed to regard them with deep affection. She rarely spoke of her mother. Eric came somehow to understand, less from what she said than from what she did not say, that Kilmeny, though she had loved her mother, had always been rather afraid of her. There had not been between them the natural beautiful confidence of mother and child. Of Neil she wrote frequently at first, and seemed very fond of him. 
Later she ceased to mention him, perhaps, for she was marvelously quick to catch and interpret every fleeting change of expression in his voice and face. She discerned what Eric did not know himself, that his eyes clouded and grew moody at the mention of Neil's name. Once she asked him naively, "'Are there many people like you out in the world?' "'Thousands of them,' said Eric, laughing. She looked gravely at him, then she gave her head a quick, decided little shake. "'I do not think so,' she wrote. "'I do not know much of the world, but I do not think there are many people like you in it.' One evening, when the faraway hills and fields were scarved in gauzy purples and the intervals were brimming with golden mists, Eric carried to the old orchard a little limp, worn volume that held a love story. It was the first thing of the kind he had ever read to her, for in the first novel he had lent her the love interest had been very slight and subordinate. This was a beautiful, passionate idol exquisitely told. He read it to her, lying in the grass at her feet. She listened with her hands clasped over her knee and her eyes cast down. It was not a long story, and when he had finished it he shut the book and looked up at her questioningly. "'Do you like it, Kilmeny?' he asked. Very slowly she took her slate and wrote, "'Yes, I like it. But it hurt me, too. I did not know that a person could like anything that hurt her. I do not know why it hurt me. I felt as if I had lost something that I never had. That was a very silly feeling, was it not? But I did not understand the book very well, you see. It is about love, and I do not know anything about love. Mother told me once that love is a curse, and that I must pray that it would never enter into my life. She said it very earnestly, and so I believed her. But your book teaches that it is a blessing. It says that it is the most splendid and wonderful thing in life. Which am I to believe?" "'Love, real love, is never a curse, Kilmeny,' said Eric gravely. "'There is a false love which is a curse. Perhaps your mother believed it was that which had entered her life and ruined it, and so she made the mistake. There is nothing in the world, or in heaven either, as I believe, so truly beautiful and wonderful and blessed as love. "'Have you ever loved?' asked Kilmeny, with the directness of phrasing necessitated by her mode of communication, which was sometimes a little terrible. She asked the question simply, and without any embarrassment. She knew of no reason why love might not be discussed with Eric, as other matters, music and books and travels, might be. "'No,' said Eric, honestly as he thought. "'But everyone has an ideal of love whom he hopes to meet some day, the ideal woman of a young man's dream.' I suppose I have mine in some sealed secret chamber of my heart. I suppose your ideal woman would be beautiful, like the woman in your book? Oh, yes, I am sure I could never care for an ugly woman, said Eric, laughing a little as he sat up. Our ideals are always beautiful, whether they so translate themselves into realities or not. But the sun is going down. Time does certainly fly in this enchanted orchard. I believe you bewitched the moments away, Kilmeny. Your namesake of the poem was a somewhat uncanny maid, if I recollect aright, and thought as little of seven years in Elfland as ordinary folk do of half an hour on Upper Earth. Some day I shall waken from a supposed hour's lingering here and find myself an old man with white hair and ragged coat, as in that fairy tale we read the other night. Will you let me give you this book? I should never commit the sacrilege of reading it in any other place than this. It is an old book, Kilmeny, a new book. Savoring of the shop and marketplace, however beautiful it might be, would not do for you. This was one of my mother's books. She read it and loved it. See, the faded rose leaves she placed in it one day are still there. I'll write your name in it, that quaint, pretty name of yours, which always sounds as if it had been specially invented for you, Kilmeny of the Orchard, and the date of this perfect June day on which we read it together. 
Then, when you look at it, you will always remember me, and the white buds opening on that rose-bush beside you, and the rush and murmur of the wind in the tops of those old spruces. He held out the book to her, but, to his surprise, she shook her head with a deeper flush on her face. "'Won't you take the book, Kilmany? Why not?' She took her pencil and wrote slowly, unlike her usual quick movement. "'Do not be offended with me. I shall not need anything to make me remember you, because I can never forget you. But I would rather not take the book. I do not want to read it again. It is about love, and there is no use in my learning about love, even if it is all you say. Nobody will ever love me. I'm too ugly.' "'You? Ugly?' exclaimed Eric. He was on the point of going off into a peal of laughter at the idea, when a glimpse of her half-averted face sobered him. On it was a hurt, bitter look, such as he remembered seeing once before, when he had asked her if she would not like to see the world for herself. "'Kilmany,' he said in astonishment, "'you don't really think yourself ugly, do you?' She nodded, without looking at him, and then wrote, "'Oh, yes, I know that I am. I have known it for a long time. Mother told me that I was very ugly, and that nobody would ever like to look at me. I am sorry. It hurts me much worse to know I am ugly than it does to know I cannot speak. I suppose you will think that is very foolish of me, but it is true. That is why I did not come back to the orchard for such a long time, even after I had got over my fright. I hated to think that you would think me ugly. And that is why I do not want to go out into the world and meet people. They would look at me as the egg peddler did one day, when I went out with Aunt Janet to his wagon the spring after Mother died. He stared at me so. I knew it was because he thought me so ugly, and I have always hidden when he came ever since." Eric's lips twitched. In spite of his pity for the real suffering displayed in her eyes, he could not help feeling amused over the absurd idea of this beautiful girl believing herself in all seriousness to be ugly. "'But, Kilmany, do you think yourself ugly when you look in a mirror?' he asked, smiling. "'I have never looked in a mirror,' she wrote. I never knew there was such a thing until after Mother died and I read about it in a book. Then I asked Aunt Janet, and she said Mother had broken all the looking-glasses in the house when I was a baby. But I have seen my face reflected in the spoons, and in a little silver sugar-bowl Aunt Janet has, and it is ugly, very ugly." Eric's face went down into the grass. For his life he could not help laughing, and for his life he would not let Kilmany see him laughing. A certain little whimsical wish took possession of him, and he did not hasten to tell her the truth, as had been his first impulse. Instead, when he dared to look up, he said slowly, "'I don't think you are ugly, Kilmany.' "'Oh, but I'm sure you must,' she wrote protestingly. "'Even Neil does. He tells me I am kind and nice, but one day I asked him if he thought me very ugly, and he looked away and would not speak, so I knew what he thought about it, too. Do not let us speak of this again. It makes me feel sorry and spoils everything.' I forget it at other times. Let me play you some good-bye music, and do not feel vexed because I would not take your book. It would only make me unhappy to read it." "'I am not vexed,' said Eric, and I think you will take it some day yet, after I have shown you something I want you to see. Never mind your looks, Kilmany. Beauty isn't everything." "'Oh, it is a great deal,' she wrote naively. "'But you do like me, even though I am so ugly, don't you?' You like me because of my beautiful music, don't you?" "'I like you very much, Kilmany,' answered Eric, laughing a little. But there was in his voice a tender note of which he was unconscious. Kilmany was aware of it, however, and she picked up her violin with a pleased smile. He left her playing there, and all the way through the dim resinous spruce wood her music followed him like an invisible guardian spirit. 
Kilmany the beautiful, he murmured. And yet, good heavens, the child thinks she is ugly. She with a face more lovely than ever an artist dreamed of. A girl of eighteen who has never looked in a mirror. I wonder if there is another such in any civilized country in the world. What could have possessed her mother to tell her such a falsehood? I wonder if Margaret Gordon could have been quite sane. It is strange that Neil has never told her the truth. Perhaps he doesn't want her to find out. Eric had met Neil Gordon a few evenings before this, at a country dance where Neil had played the violin for the dancers. Influenced by curiosity, he had sought the lad's acquaintance. Neil was friendly and talkative at first, but at the first hint concerning the Gordons which Eric threw out skillfully, his face and manner changed. He looked secretive and suspicious, almost sinister. A sullen look crept into his big black eyes, and he drew his bow across the violin strings with a discordant screech as if to terminate the conversation. Plainly nothing was to be found out from him about Kilmeny and her grim guardians. End of chapter 9 of Kilmeny of the Orchard by L. M. Montgomery Read by Chloe Winters, February 2008